Let's pray together. Father, um, we're grateful. We're grateful to be part of the ecclesia, to be part of that community of people that you have called out of the world to belong to yourself and that you've gathered us here again so that we might worship you. And um, Lord, we are in grave need this morning of you to speak to us as we think about concepts from your word concerning the purpose for the gathering of the body of Christ. These are things, Lord, um, that I need help in understanding. And I know that we as a people need help in understanding. And so would you, would you come and would you be our teacher? And would you help us to, um, to sit, uh, certainly not at my feet, but at the feet of your word, at the feet of your son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, in the power of the Spirit, that we would be uh, like Mary, seated at his feet, listening and learning from him. Would you teach us this morning? Would you sharpen us? Would you help us, Lord, to, um, to be faithful in our understanding and in our application of things concerning worship? So would you, would you raise us up this morning? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Um, so let me explain. We're, we're taking a pause from our study in the book of Genesis Having reached the climax of Abraham offering Isaac, uh, we're gonna we're gonna take a time out, and I'm gonna ask you to give me about three weeks to think about corporate worship. Okay, so um, if you're if you're if you haven't been with us very long, you should know that kind of a defining characteristic of our church is we teach chapter by chapter, verse by verse through the Bible, which we're not gonna do for about three, maybe four weeks, because what I want to do is pan back and, and uh, not dismiss the Bible, but think big picture, not about particulars of certain texts, but big picture, um, what does God's word have to teach us about why the body of Christ gathers together? And so we'll start by, I want to ask you the question that Jesus asked the first men who followed. In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist said, looked at Jesus, and he said, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And some of his followers, some of John the Baptist's disciples said, well, if our teacher pointed at that guy and said he's the hopes of the universe, we're following him. And so they leave John the Baptist and they go after him. And Jesus, as it were, is walking. He sees them following and he stops and he looks at them and says, what do you want? He says, what do you seek? Our, our vernacular would be, what? What? What do, you, what do you want? Why are you following me? Tell me. And they have to stop and they have to think about that. Why are we following you? They end up coming up with a really lame answer. They just said, where are you staying? <laughs> we don't really know. We just know that we should follow you. But let me ask you that. It's a rhetorical question. Don't shout it out. You'll probably get it wrong and you'll be shamed uh, as we think through these things. I kid. But what, what are we doing here? Why do we gather Sunday after Sunday? Why do we do the things we do? You might say uh, any number of things describe the stuff that we do. We pray, we, we preach God's word, we confess with our, with our mouths, we kneel, we, we do all of these things. But why? What are we doing here? What are we after? Okay, so 
this is, this is what we're driving at today. I want to ask a couple of questions and try and answer them. The first is I want to ask why we do not gather. And just kind of use it as a foil of like this is why a lot of answers people would give fall into one of four categories. And they're all of them well-meaning but dead wrong and deadly wrong. Then I want to ask what pattern do we have in Scripture for when we gather that, that helps us to understand why we would gather And then we'll think through what that looks like and how it applies. So let me start off with a principle to tell you about worship that purpose shapes the pattern or the practice. Okay, purpose shapes the practice. If you answer, try and put an answer on it in your mind. Why? Why have we come? Why are we gathered? Whatever answer you give is going to shape the way you um, organize your gatherings. Okay, and so let me let me think with you a little bit about Reasons that we do not gather, um, even though many churches in our in our land and, and particularly in America, um, would they would answer in these ways. One one of the most important answers, one of the most popular answers, would be that we gather for evangelism. Like we gather, you've you've heard pastors. A lot of pastors will say that the worship of God's people when we gather on Sunday morning, it's the on ramp to the Christian faith. It's where. Uh, unchurched people can come and hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we gather for the purpose of evangelism. Now, raise your hand if you're not for evangelism. Please don't raise your hand. We're all for evangelism, right? We, we, we all want to preach the good news of Jesus Christ, crucified and raised for sinners, free grace to be received by faith alone. Evangelism is at the, at the epicenter of our mission in this world is to tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. But when we take that good thing and we make it ultimate, that this is the whole reason we're gathering is just for worship or just for um, evangelism, we make a grave error because, think about this, who is, who is evangelism most concerned with? Evangelism is most concerned with men, with people. I want my neighbor to know Christ. I want the stranger to know Christ. I want whoever to know Christ. And so I'm endeavoring to, to bring them to, to, to bring the saving knowledge of Christ to them. It's a man-centered thing. Worship is exactly the opposite. Worship has all together to do with the glory of God and, and people coming into the presence of a holy God permissible by the shed blood of Jesus Christ alone and the power of the Spirit, coming into His presence and not asking, what do you want? What do I want? How does this make you feel? We're asking, what does God say? What does He command? And, and, and who are we to be as His people? Okay, so when we, when we make evangelism the, the centerpiece, we make a lot, of, uh, a lot of errors. This is the origin of what's called the seeker uh, the seeker church, churches that are organized around winning the lost. And I heard R.C. Sproul talking about this. If you know R.C. Sproul, a, a super faithful, he's with the Lord now, great theologian, great brother. And he talked about this 20, 30 years ago. And he said he met with the founder of the seeker church movement. And he said, guys, he means well. He loves people. He wants people to come to know Christ. So it's not like he's just saying, I don't care about God and I don't care what God says. He's wanting people to come to know Jesus. But 
What he did in order to found that movement is he would go to college campuses, he would go to businesses, and he would talk to people, and he would say, do you go to church? And if anybody said, yeah, I go to church, he would say, okay, nice to meet you, and leave. He would not talk to anybody that was a churchgoer. He would only talk to people who would say, no, I don't don't go to church. And he would say, oh, why don't you go to church? You're what I'm after. Why don't you go to church? And they would say things like, well, the sermons are irrelevant and they're too long. Right? Uh, The preaching isn't funny. The songs are not to my liking. Everything is irrelevant. There's a lot of hypocrisy there. And they would talk about all of the things that they didn't like about the church. Frankly, why does a non-believer not come to church? It's not because of all of those things. Jesus says, you, you don't hear my words because you're not my sheep. So if somebody's not coming to church, it's because they don't belong to Christ yet. They, they can look at all those things and use them as excuses, but the reality is um, that they, they gave all of these excuses. And basically what this man did is he said, okay, I want to make, make a church that's aimed at those things. I want to provide them short and relevant messages. So we're not going to walk through the scripture because that would be off-putting. Right. We're going to spend, I don't know, our second year in the book of Genesis. Right. I mean, that's people don't want they want 15 minutes, you know, of of feel good preaching. And we're going to have concert style music and those those types of things. And I just want you to know if you've if you've ever been a part of a church where sort of the worship builds towards what's called the invitation. where So the pastor preaches and he's preaching the gospel. And then he says, uh, he invites people to come and walk an aisle and he stands down front and he sings something like, just as I am, or some, some hymn summoning people to come. You're, you're part of a church that's made evangelism the centerpiece of why we've gathered. And what happens there, I grew up in a church like that, and liturgy really matters. So like I'm being told Sunday after Sunday not Hey, you're, you're a covenant member of the household of God and he loves you and he's for you. Welcome to the table and let's repent and let's receive his forgiveness and let's talk to God. Let's pray. Let's hear his word. Not those things. It's always, have you repented? Have you believed enough? And, and you get this sense of like, I'm kind of an outsider here, even in the church. So I went to um, a church and I was a senior and like, I don't know if we ever had a visitor in that church. But every Sunday, we're, he's preaching to the lost even though we're all saved. And it wore on me. I started to feel like maybe I haven't believed. Maybe there's something wrong with me because he keeps coming with the same message. Never a relax. Like he told you to believe and you believe you're in. Trust him. Rejoice. So evangelism, super important, but it's not why we've gathered. Second, this is, this is uniquely, um, this is a unique temptation for our church. Because it's a unique temptation for me. Um, and uh, it's, it's education. We have not gathered today just to be educated. There's a, there's a truism about um, some churches that love to hear the preaching of God's word. What they, they, will, they wouldn't state it this way, but they view it this way that like our bodies, God gave us bodies so that our bodies could carry our brains to church. That's all that we care about. We just want to know better. We want to know the Lord. We want to know his word. Now, you are supposed to love the Lord with all your mind, but you're also supposed to love your Lord, the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and body, which is one of the reasons when we come together, 
An elder will say, let's stand for the reading of God's word. Let's kneel as we look at the law and examine ourselves and repent. Let's stand for the assurance that Christ has been our pardon. We raise our hands. We, we pray like we worship God with our body. We sing. If you look at the Psalms, there's all of these robust calls. Yes, to meditate on the law of God, on the word of God. So never neglect that. But there's also raise your voice and sing a new song to the Lord. Right. Raise your hands. Praise him with trumpet sound, with lyre, with flute, with piano, with singing. Right. So there's these there. It's more worship is more than just coming to learn, uh, coming to learn things. Uh, I'll tell you, this is a unique temptation for me because I love God's word and I feel called to preach God's word. And I think God's word is the is the catalyst, the catalyst that helps us to do all these other things that we're going to talk about to do them well. If you don't have God's word being faithfully taught, um, you don't have those things. But listen to me, and it's a very nuanced statement, but it's super important. God's word is antecedent. It's penultimate. It's not the end. Like all we're going to do in glory is listen to the word of God be read. No, we're going to be worshiping the triune God. What we know about God will inform that worship, will will bless that worship. But the preaching of God's word is preparatory for us. It gets us uh, it gets us rightly aligned according to the mind of God. And so education is really important, like evangelism is really important. But that's not why we gather. Another reason people would say is experience that every service is evaluated on whether or not I had this feeling or this sense or like you can just tell people will say things like you can just tell the spirit is there and sometimes that's hard to tell like i've been a part of a concerts before that have nothing whatsoever to do with jesus and i've been overcome with emotion and so you could say like man it was just really joyful and happy and but is that the reason the sum total of the reason that we're gathered this, this happened uh, to a friend of mine who was on staff at a local church. doesn't matter what church because I'm not trying to trash talk them or their pastor. I just want you to know that these are the types of things that happen when you're, you're thinking in terms of we're gathering to make sure that we elicit emotional, certain emotional responses. They had a, uh, an intern from Germany that was serving as an intern in their church. And the pastor was, was uh, meeting uh, about a worship service planning uh, with all of the staff. And he said, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to teach. And he was talking about all these things. And he said, now this girl is going to be baptized. She wants to be baptized uh, this Sunday. Now, she was baptized as an infant in the Lutheran church. And her family are still Lutheran. And in their mind, she's still Lutheran. She's come over here and she wants to be baptized. And he said, so we're going to baptize her. And, like, the church is going to go nuts. But we have to make sure that, like, we don't record it. It doesn't get live streamed. We have to make sure that, like, people don't Facebook it and congratulatory because – if her parents find out about this, she's going to be in a lot of trouble and they, they won't like that. And my friend said, that's not what baptism is. It's not what baptism is. Like you're, you're, you're using a sacrament of the Lord to, to, to elicit a, an emotional response. And the pastor could not wrap his mind around why that was a problem. And so he kept saying, just trust me, it'll work. It'll work. Not is it true? Is it proper? Is, it, is this accurate? It's just, it, will it work? And so my buddy said in the middle of the service, he, he pauses, he announces, nobody share this. 
They baptize her. The church erupts with joy. People are losing their minds. It's so happy. And the pastor comes to my friend and he said, see, it worked. What does that mean? It means that we're not gathering, that the focus of the church is not to gather and conduct ourselves in a way that God has commanded. It's we're gathering to try and elicit emotional responses. And we will grind whatever grist the mill requires to that end. If that means redoing what baptism means, we'll do it. Redoing the sacrament the, uh, of Lord's Supper, yeah, we'll do it. Uh, changing the things that we sing, the type of, we'll do it. We just want emotional um, experience, okay? That's what we're after. And so, again, evangelism, education, emotional experiences, all of those things are very important. And you might meet with one or all of those things in any given worship service, but that's not the point of why we gather, okay? So, the question is, why do we gather and how do we know? There's not a particular, I can't, I can't take you to one text, one paragraph where it says, okay, when the, when the body of Christ gathers, this is what we're coming to do. You, you catch it in snippets and in parts and pieces all over the Old and New Testaments and you kind of work them together. And so um, I'm in the process of reading a book that is massively helpful on this. If you're, if you're interested in a um, late summer read, this is called The Lord's Service. Super helpful. Um, it's, it's a biblical theology of the gathering of the body of Christ. Okay, and so much of what I'm going to say over the next couple of three weeks is, uh, is almost a study of this book, but only because this book is a study of the Bible. Does that make sense to you? You follow that? I would, I, I, it's not like, oh, this is the cutting edge. This is not cutting edge. This is older than dirt. He's just helping to explain from the scriptures, look, this is what we're, this is what we're doing, okay? So in this book, by the way, just look at this for a moment. I completely misunderstood the title of this book. You might too, and so I just want to help you see this. It's called The Lord's Service. What does that apostrophe mean, homeschoolers? Does that mean plural? Like Lord's, like plural, like there's more than one God? No. What does apostrophe S mean? It's possessive. Okay? And so what I understood this to mean is like the Lord's service. It's like this is a worship service. We call it all the time. And so it's, we're gathered to serve, to serve the Lord. It's not what this means. The Lord's service means we are gathering to put ourselves in a position where God will serve our greatest needs. Think about this. When you come to a restaurant, so who comes to the table? They're called a server. They, they bring you what you need. We're, God has called us together. We'll, t- we'll think about this. But he's called us together so that he can serve us in our greatest point of need. This is Christ at the Last Supper. He's the one that rises from table, takes off his outer garment while his, follow- while his uh, students and followers are seated. He rises and he serves them. And that's the gesture of biblical Christianity. It's not the service that we render to God who doesn't need your service. It's the service in Christ that God renders to us. And so we've come to renew the covenant of God. It's covenant renewal worship. That's what this means. So we're going to think through um, these things. And this is the pattern that we're given in, in the scriptures when God makes a covenant with people 
which he's made several throughout the, throughout the scriptures, and we'll think through some of them. He, there's distinctions in the covenant. There's also continuity and relationship between covenants. But God does, there, there's about five things that he always does when he makes a covenant with people. Okay, now I'm going to explain those things to you, and then I'll just briefly explain um, some of the covenants so that you can see these, because these are going to directly inform what we're doing when we gather to renew the covenant that we have with God in Christ. Okay, so the first thing that God does when he's going to make a covenant is he, he takes hold. Like God takes initiative and he says, I'm going to do something with this thing. A really great way to see this uh, as we think through it is the, the original creation covenant that God had with creation with Adam and Eve in the garden. You have, uh, you have in the beginning of Genesis 1, God makes the heavens and the earth and the earth is formless and void. And God takes it up. He takes hold of it to bring beauty and order and goodness to it. And so he's initiating, he's taking hold of something to do something new with it. The second thing he does is he always separates and then unifies. He's always making distinctions and then he brings them back together into a cohesive whole. So think about, again, Genesis 1. Let there be light. And God separated the light from the darkness. And, and, he, and then he names the, the, new, the new things. And then he brings it back together. So he separates light and darkness. He separates waters from waters. Uh, dry land from seas. He separates sun from moon and from stars. He separates uh, different types of animals and all of those things and eventually come together, reunified when he looks at all of it and says, it's all very, very good, right? So he takes hold, he makes some separations, some distinctions, and then he unifies them and names them. So those are two things. The third thing that he does is he speaks about the new arrangement of things. He's made a covenant. He's made this new arrangement and he's going to explain the terms of what it means. Okay, um, you can you can see this at the at the towards the end of the created order. He looks at Adam and Eve and he says, "Now be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it." I've given you all of these things, and so he he speaks to that which is new. He explains himself; otherwise, we would not know him. We would not know what he intends. So he takes hold. He separates. He speaks about the new arrangement. Fourth, he gives signs and seals of the covenant. He gives, uh, he gives markers so that we can physically enjoy the spiritual covenant that we have. So think about what he tells Adam and Eve. He says, look at the garden. I've given you all of this to eat and to, and to, and to drink. So he provides signs and seals of the covenant. And then, fifthly and lastly, he, he prepares. So, um, he prepares for the future so that the covenant can be continued. Okay, so we, we, we see that in the, in the created order. You see it with Adam and Eve. So think about this with me. You guys know the story. You've got Adam in a garden who's got a command and he's got an invitation. He's, he's uh, well, well, we'll start there. First off, God takes hold of something. What does he take hold of when he's going to make Adam? He takes hold of dust. So he's got all of this dust and he calls some of the dust out, right? And he makes that dust into a living being. He makes something new and then he... Uh, he breathes his life into it. So now there's, there's living, there's unity, and he renames that creation. Um, he puts him in a garden. He prepares all these things. And then God speaks to him. And he says, he puts him in the garden. He says, I, I put you here to work and to keep it. You can freely eat of all the trees, but, but don't eat it. So 
There's, there's eating there. You can eat of the tree of life and live forever. You can also abuse this, this covenant. You can rebel against this covenant by eating of this tree. And so I, I expect you to be, to be obedient. And so he speaks about the new arrangement. Um, it's interesting. He then uh, looks at man when he's going to make uh, the marriage covenant. And he says it's not good that he's alone. And so he, again, takes hold of the man. And he breaks him. He makes a separation. He pulls the man apart. And then he makes part of the man into a bride. Right? So he, so he speaks. He, he separates. And then he brings her back and, and unifies them. Man and woman. This marriage covenant. He named, uh, she receives a name. A new name. Then God speaks about the marriage covenant. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and cleave unto his wife. The two shall become one. So this is a new arrangement that's going to be forever. That's going to be binding forever. So God speaks about it. He gives signs and seals of the covenant. What's the sign and the seal of the marriage covenant? How do married people renew their covenant? Do they go back and and renew their vows every so often? No. They have sex with each other. That's the sign and the seal of the covenant. This is what it's for. And it's an invitation to enjoy that covenant unity. And then God sustains that covenant by providing children. Be fruitful, multiply, and we're going to see marriages all the time. Next one is in October, right? Like we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna get to enjoy this all the time. And so you can look at the creation account. God, God follows this order. You can look at the marriage covenant. He follows this order. You can look at Noah and the way that the whole world is going to hell. And God takes initiative. He takes Noah. Noah finds grace. And he separates Noah out. He says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring judgment but I want, you to make a, I want you to make an art and that art and that judgment is going to deliver you. It's going to judge the world and deliver my people. So he, so he separates Noah out. He gives him, um, yeah, he, 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 uh, he gives Noah signs and seals of the, of the, new, of the covenant with the, um, with the rainbow and all of those things. So he, he speaks to Noah. He gives him a new, um, he speaks about the new arrangement. It's not going to be like it was before. I've given you the, food, the animals for food now. And so there's a newness that, that God speaks to, signs and seals in the rainbow. And then he sustains the covenant by, by providing, again, offspring. So you can look at creation, marriage, Noah, the Noahic covenant. You can look at Abraham. We've been meditating on those. Y'all could probably fill in the gap, so I, I'll save us all time. The Davidic covenant is the same. The restoration, when God is... Uh, he's judged his people, Israel, sent them into exile, and he's calling them back under Ezra and Zerubbabel and, and Nehemiah. And uh, uh, Hag- it's Haggai and then it's Zechariah, right? Are those the, the prophets that were, that were preaching during that time? God reconstitutes Israel, and he renews the covenant with them, and it follows the same order. And then ultimately, ultimately, the new covenant through, the new covenant through Christ. So I want you to... Um, I want you to listen to uh, this man talk about the, the way God follows this order with Christ. One, God takes hold of his creation to do something new. Jesus takes on our flesh in order to faithfully execute the covenant promises. Number two, in Christ we have the fulfillment of all the typological death and resurrection events in the Old Testament. Jesus and his people united to him. They die to the old Adamic world and they rise again as a new creation. God's people are mercifully separated out of the old world into union with himself. This is also a marriage. A husband leaves his family to secure for himself a bride. Uh, Christ separated out the old world to be united to his new 
uh, his new bride and her to her new covenant Lord. The people of God, therefore, are now united to Christ to become new creation in him. And you've got a new name. What are you called every Sunday when your elders say, Christian, what do you believe? And you answer like Christian is your name. It's not. Your name is Will. Your name is Gracie. But we call you Christian, don't we? Because you're in union with Christ. You have a new name. And, and you've been baptized into a new name. The name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Which, by the way, is newly, the newly revealed name of God. God's always been triune. But in the new covenant, he gives a little bit more of our understanding about himself. The people of God are now given new names. Christians, all of this means there's a new hierarchy, new lines of authority. Jesus is Lord. And as head over his church, he instituted government, which represents him. This is super important. We'll talk about this in just a second. He institutes a new government in his church, which represents him on earth. Pastors, elders, and deacons. Okay. Thirdly, God speaks anew to his people. Through his son, there's a new way of life for those in covenant with God through Christ. The way of love and sacrificial living. This is all laid out for us in the new covenant documents that we call the New Testament. Fourthly, the public face of the covenant has changed too. Gone are circumcision, gone are animal sacrifices. New non-bloody signs and seals of the covenant are instituted. The Lord's Supper and baptism. These are the signs and the seals of the covenant. So you see God making this order again. Fifthly and lastly, provision is made for the succession of the covenant with the ordination of ministers and elders and deacons. Christ charged to them to make disciples by baptizing and teaching the nations. Okay, so you've got I I told you that we're gathered when we gather, we gather not for evangelism, just for education or just for any of these number of things. We gather as the people of God to renew the covenant that we have with Christ and the way that we go about it. Is, is analogous to the way God has cut covenants with his people in the past. So covenant renewal worship uh, is, is when we gather and embody the, the terms of the new covenant in Christ. We come into his presence to renew, to renew the covenant. And so let me explain uh, what you just experienced, whether you knew what we were doing or not. I'll explain to you why we did what we did and it follows the same order. What's the first way, the first move that happens when God makes a covenant? He takes hold of something. He takes initiative. The church is the ecclesia. It's we are called out of the world to worship God. And so an elder comes up on behalf of Christ and he doesn't he doesn't summon you on his own stead. But he says in, um, as it were, a, an under shepherd of Christ, he says, Come, let us worship the Lord. Come, come out from the world and let's come together and let's worship the Lord. And so God here takes hold of us to bring us to himself out of the world in two ways. How does he bring us out of the world? Well, first is distinction. He doesn't want this to look like the world. And so think about all the churches when they, when they think about, well, what would appeal to worldly people and get them in here? Let's pattern our worship services after the world, which is the exact opposite of what God wants us to do. He wants us to pattern ourselves after his covenant so that we would be it would be a family feast. So so he calls us out of the world to himself, one, by distinction, but two, by location. It's the most beautiful idea that I was completely blind to for a very long time in my Christian life, that when we gather, we're no longer here. 
We're somewhere else. I want to read you what, if you have been walking with the Lord for any length of time, is probably one of your favorite texts of all time. And if it's not, that's okay. We won't judge you too harshly. But listen to what, listen to what Paul says. He says, uh, You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once formerly walked, following the course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of our flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us. Why is he merciful? Because he loves us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, watch this, he made us alive together with Christ. That's true of every person who's, who has faith in Christ. You were dead and God made you alive. We, we call that a resurrection. He raised you from deadness, united us with Christ. Okay? So we were dead in our trespasses. He made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. Now watch this. He raised us up with him. And so when we baptize, united with him in his burial, raised to walk in newness of life. And sadly, we fail to read the next verse. We think that all it is, all the Christian life is, is being raised from our spiritual death and just walking in newness of life. Do you know what the next thing he says is? Startling. He raised us up with Christ. And in our union with Christ, pop quiz, where is Jesus right now? He is seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. So we're raised up with him and he seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ. Right now, seated with Christ, in union with Christ. This is when you look at Revelation 20 and it talks about the kingdom that Christ ruling and reigning on the earth with his people. That's now, not in fullness, no. But in seed form, and we're promised that it's going to grow, he's made us in union with Christ who is seated, who says of himself right now, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not one day, but right now. And by faith, he has united us with him. And so when we gather, we are, as it were, and and we'll we'll look at this next week in in greater detail You don't have to take my word for it. I'm just going to tell you. You don't have to believe me yet. But you do next week because I'll demonstrate it by God's word. When we come together, we ascend into the heavenly places and we partake of of the worship that is going on in heaven around the throne right now. That's what's going on. That is what's going on. So he calls us. He takes hold and he calls us out. Please understand when when the elders... Come and they, they start off our service by reading a psalm. It's a lot of times a psalm of ascent or a psalm of invitation to worship. And they call, they say, come, come, let's worship the Lord. They're, that's important. He's summoning you out. You're a part of the ecclesia, those who are called out of the world into the presence of God to worship him. So there's a call. God takes hold. There's a call to worship. Secondly, God affects a separation. Remember when, we, when, when he did the covenant, he takes hold and then he affects some sort of a separation. And so we look at the law of God and we confess our sins. This is, this is the equivalent of coming into a house for dinner where you're welcome, but your feet are muddy. Well, what do you do? You 
stomp in just because you're welcome? Or do you do the decent thing and like take your shoes off or, or, or clean them off on the, on the mat? You're welcome. You've been called into the presence of God. But you sinned this week, as did I. And we need to just deal with that. And, and our Father says, I want you to deal with that so that I can forgive you of those things. That's why Christ, that's why Christ came to die. And so we confess our sins and the forgiveness of Christ um, we, we are made clean. So how do you prepare to dine with a king? Think about this. How do you to prepare to, di- to dine with anybody that matters? The first thing you're going to do is look in the mirror. You're going to go, oh, man, I don't know if this shirt is made me look fat. You know, I got mustard stain on it. I got to, this is not right. I've got to do something about this. And so, you, and so you address yourself. Now, you can't. Get yourself ready to come into the presence of a holy God apart from Christ. And so that's, the, that's why we look at the, the Ten Commandments and we say, look, this is the standard. And, and nobody hit it but Jesus. And so we look at it and we say, Lord, we own that. We, we've messed up. Will you, will you forgive us? And he does. And by the way, please understand, when an elder stands up here and, 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 and talks, they say, please rise for the absolution of guilt. Please do not be mistaken that this is some Catholic weirdness where we have a priest as mediator that's going to like forgive you of your sin. That is not what's going on. They are saying in the name of Christ, you are pardoned. Not because I said so, but because he said so. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. You are pardoned. And now let's go and worship the Lord. Right? And so we just, we, we wash our hands before the feast. So, God takes hold. He calls us to worship. There's confession. He affects the separation and then back to unity again. Uh, puts us in union with Christ so that we have absolution. of uh, we, we get to enjoy the forgiveness that's already ours. Uh, thirdly, God speaks to his people in light of the, the new terms of the covenant. And so you have scripture reading and you have the preaching of God's word. Um, and, and again, I, I told you, this is something that is absolutely essential when we open God's word and we say, these are the words of God and someone endeavors to explain it to you. Please understand, this is not, we are actively trying to kill the opinions of men, including my own and anybody who's preaching from this pulpit. We are trying to, to make clear the intentions of the word of God. This is what God has spoken to his people. And so we, we talk to you about the terms of the new covenant, regardless of what section of scripture we're looking at. If it's old covenant, we can look and say, look, this is what they were under. We're no longer under that. It's different now because Christ is a fulfillment of those things. And so God speaks to his people. But listen to me. I told you earlier, that's not ultimate. We don't hear the sermon and then say, have a great day. What do we do? Well, What's the fourth movement of covenant? God takes hold. He affects the separation. He speaks and he names. And then he gives signs and seals so that we can physically enjoy the spiritual realities that, that God. Take out spiritual. It's, a, it's, a, it's got a bunch of connotations I don't need. That we can enjoy the unseen realities that are ours. Do you see yourself seated with Christ at his right hand in union with Christ? I surely don't. That's, a, that's something we take on faith. And so at the Lord's table, we get to partake of those unseen realities. And the word prepares us for such things. Let me, let me spend some time on this because it's very important. 
Um, there are any, any bit of art that you can possibly create, story, song, uh, painting, anything. If you, if you create it, it's going to fall into one of four categories. There's only four. There's epic. There's the moving from nothing to the founding of a kingdom. It's big. It's Genesis 1. Tohu vabohu to heavens and the earth fully stocked and God says it's all good. That's epic. It's a, a huge movement from where you start to where you end. But it's a movement from something to something else. You have tragic. You have Genesis 2. This you, you start high and in low. You've got this king in a garden with a beautiful naked wife with whom he's in covenant. And he's got purpose and he's got God's presence and he's got an invitation. And he rebels and he loses everything. It's tragic. So Genesis 1 is, uh, is epic. It's movement from nothing to a kingdom. Tragedy is the moving from a kingdom to the loss of a kingdom. And it's heartbreaking. Then you have comedic, which is... Genesis 3 through Genesis or through Revelation 20. It's the movement of, of low to a wedding, to good news at the end. The, the rest of the Bible is comedic. We've lost everything, but God in Christ is going to redeem us, and he's, and he's moving us back to glory. Do you know the only other genre available to us is lyric, which is the only one that doesn't move. Do you know what lyric is? Lyric is that which does not call for any movement at all. It enjoys reality that's good. We, at some point, we will get to where we're supposed to be and we won't need any more movement. We will just praise God for things as they are. We will say, oh, how I love thee, let me count the ways. Not, I need you to do this or that. It's no movement. It's just an enjoyment, a lyrical enjoyment of the way things are. The Lord is my shepherd. I don't need to go anywhere. I'm not calling for movement. I'm enjoying things as they are. That's the Lord's table. We've done all the movement we need. He's called us to himself. We've confessed our sins and received pardon that, that's, that's ours in Christ. He's spoken to his people. And now he says, come to the table. Fellowship with me. Eat with me. This is the point. When we get to... The, the final state, it will be the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is what it's all building towards, is the glad enjoyment of the presence of God. Where there will be no more movement. There will just be joy in His presence. And then lastly, He sees to the future of the covenant, the continuation of the covenant, when an elder in a few moments is going to, uh, to pronounce a benediction um, and, and, a, and a commissioning that God blesses and he charges us to extend his kingdom into the future. So we've gathered. Think about the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, make your name hallowed. And then we pray, your, may your kingdom come. May your will, what's the mark of his kingdom coming? His will being done on earth as in heaven. But when we gather and we're assumed up into heaven, and we enjoy the will of God, not the will of man. We don't care what you think. You don't care what I think. We want to ask, what does God say? And we want to obey his will, and we want to align ourselves. So we've enjoyed, as it were, those heavenly realities, the will of God in heaven, and now we're sent out to bring it to bear on the earth. We're to go out and disciple the nations, but we do that under the benediction of, of the Lord. May the Lord bless you. May he keep you. May he cause his face to shine upon you as you go back into the world as his representatives to a lost and dying world. 
Covenant renewal is why we gather. Okay? It's why we gather. And this is one of the, the things that in my affections and my um, understanding of the church, this is one of the things that has shifted. Please understand my, my love for the word of God has not decreased. It has increased. And then I understand what uh, probably what I think is more accurately what it's driving at. Why do we give ourselves to the, to, the, to the preaching and the exposition of God's word? It's so that we can be fit when we come to the table to fellowship with our Heavenly Father. That's why we preach, and that's why we listen, and that's why we obey, and that's why we repent, and that's why we confess. We gather, having been called by God out of the world to Himself, to meet with Him and to renew the covenant that He has made with us through His Son, Jesus Christ. This, Christian, is why you are here, whether you know it or not. I love you. Let me pray for you, and we'll celebrate Lord's Supper. Father, these are things we desperately need to think through because it's so easy to get distracted and turn to, to, to good things that are not central things. They're, they're peripheral or they serve the main thing. God, we want to be about the main thing. You have, you have endeavored to draw people to yourself through your son, Jesus Christ, that you might have, that, that, that we might have eternal life just fellowship and knowledge of the Father and the Son whom He has sent. This is what we're for, to, to glorify You and enjoy You forever. And in our sin, we, we just continually need to come and to put ourselves under You and, and under the service that You offer to Your people so that You would minister to us. This is the Lord's service. It's Your service. And so God, we want to... To receive these things. We want to receive your sanctifying work through, the, through the, the prayers of the saints and the preaching of the gospel and the fellowship of the redeemed and the songs and the psalms through the sacrament, through all of these things, Lord. We want to receive your service to us. So God, we thank you. We thank you for your word. We thank you that, um, that what we're building towards is table fellowship with our Heavenly Father. Would you now, as we come to this table, would you send your spirit to to take up what Christ earned and to bring it to us and apply it to us. Lord, keep us in union with our Savior. Help us to know ourselves assumed up into glory with Him, seated with Him at the right hand, received, received by His grace. And would you, would you implant and impart and bring to bear His grace and His goodness to us, Lord? We ask it in Christ's name. Amen.